Welcome to Challenge. Hey, it's good to be with you guys tonight. I am uh, really excited to be here. The um, topic we're looking at tonight, we've been looking at a series called Creatures of Habit, and we've been talking about habits that if you apply those and you actually put them to use in your life, will not only give you the life you desire, but it will also really develop you as a person. And so tonight, the subject we're going to be looking at is intentional rest. Webster defines rest in two different ways. One, he says, rest is freedom from activity and labor. And secondly, he says, it's peace of mind or spirit. Now, we're talking about intentional rest tonight. We're not just talking about bodily rest. I mean, like if you're tired and you think, oh, my my body's kind of tired. Well, if that's all we were talking about, the talk would be real simple. I'd just say, take a nap. And that would be it. And you, and you could move forward from there. But we're talking more about a restlessness that's inside of us, kind of a, a fatigue that doesn't just fatigue our bodies, it fatigues our soul. So what do you do with that? How do you handle restlessness like that? And that's what I want us to look at tonight. Why do people struggle with rest? Well, ask yourself that question. Why do you struggle with rest? I came up with a couple of different reasons. Uh, I could have probably come up with a few more, but honestly, two were enough to depress me. So we're just going to look at two tonight. Two reasons that I think we really struggle with rest. The first one is our desires. Our desires drive us. Desire for inner peace, desire for pleasure, desire for recognition, desire to contribute, desire for stuff, desire for accomplishment, just desire for more. We, our desires drive us forward. In fact, desires aren't necessarily bad. In fact, they're really good motivators. They get us out of bed in the morning. And they serve us well as long as they're just motivators. They don't serve us well when they become our masters. So desires are kind of like, you know, that thing that is just out there in front of us. It's just a little ways away. And we think, okay, I'm almost there. The problem is the more we follow our desires, what we find is the target keeps moving and it keeps moving back. You know, a few years ago, in fact, many years ago now, before we uh, actually owned this home in which we're living, we, uh, I was driving to Pasadena. And I was driving along and I looked over and I've always noticed different houses along the way. And I looked at this one house and I thought to myself, now, that's a really cool style house. It was this craftsman style home. And I thought, you know, God, God, if we ever had that house, that would be all that we would ever want. I mean, that right there, just that house. And I drove on up and I was getting towards northern Pasadena. I was passing through some of these neighborhoods and I thought, wow. And I see one of these houses has this porch that wraps around it. And I said, now, God, honestly, if I ever had two houses, that one back there and then one like that right there, and that would be all that. I mean, I, I would never, ever want anything else. And I was driving a little bit further and I saw this other house come up and it was like the father of the bride house. And I was looking at it and I thought, you know, God, if I had three houses, and all of a sudden, this verse that I'd memorized, Proverbs 27, 20, came to mind. And it says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. See, the problem with desire is it's infinite. 
it just goes on and on and on. And desire, the problem with it also is it promises rest, but it doesn't deliver on it. And you know this, you've experienced this. I mean, you think about it, you know, just not too long ago, you were thinking about, you know, if I can just get out of high school and get to college, and then you get to college and you think, you know, if I can just pledge this group or join this thing or be a part of this thing, then, then it'll be good. Then you go on, you think, you know, if I can just get into this major, if, if I can just get a date with this person, if I can just get this internship, if I can just, if I could just get to graduation, once I get to graduation, then life's going to come. You know, if I could just get this job, if this person that I've been dating would just choose to marry me, if I, if I could just get this promotion and on and on and on it goes and desires keep promising that they're going to provide rest, but they never do. What desires do is they create a restlessness within us. And the reason why is this with desires, what you find is that There's like infinite you. If you think of this kind of a continuum here, there's like this infinite you right here. And out here is this happiness. Out here is this life that you desire. And desires leave this gap. And that gap creates restlessness. But the desires keep promising to fill that gap. And over and over and over, we buy into that and we believe it but they never fill the gap. You know, you ask people sometimes, what do they want? And they don't even know. Sometimes they they don't even know what they want. They just know they want a little bit more. They know, in fact, today we have more than any generation before us has had. We have more things. We just have more time. We have more stuff. And yet we are constantly wanting more. That has done all sorts of things to us. One, it creates this sense within us like we're almost there. You know, it's like we're getting closer, we're getting closer, but it's just elusive. It seems like it goes away. The other thing it's done is it's created all sorts of different uh, new phobias and stuff, you know, like fear of missing out. You know, we have this, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to miss out on something or stress and anxiety. Uh, I've seen more people diagnosed with anxiety attacks probably in the last 10 years than I ever have in my entire life. Or hurry sickness, this constant rushing around, this constant anxiety, this constant, you know, scurrying from one thing to another because our desires are fueling us, our desires are driving us that way. Desires are infinite and they can only be fulfilled by an infinite thing. So how do you deal with desire? How, how do you try to satisfy? You can't satisfy it. So what do you do? You know, you, you think you're getting closer. It moves away. They ask a guy that was a first century theologian or not first century, but he was in uh, uh, times past uh, Thomas Aquinas. They asked him one time, they said, how does man really achieve happiness? And Aquinas's answer was this. He said, for that to happen, man would have to have everything. Every date you could ever have, every marriage you could ever have, every job you could ever have, every meal you could ever have, every house you could ever live in, 
you would have to have everything in order for you to be satisfied. In other words, you can't fill that. It's There's no answer for it. See, we were made to live with God forever, and nothing less than that will ever satisfy. Nothing. When we realize that God is the only thing that can fill that gap and that desire, then we also realize that every time we walk away from God, we keep trying to fill that gap with other things to take his place. And so sometimes it's success, sometimes it's some accolade, but we keep trying to fill that gap all the time. Augustine, one of the first century church fathers said this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Now, here's the kicker. You will adopt behaviors, and lifestyles that reflect what you really think it is that's going to fill the gap for you. So if you really think that, you know, what desires promise is really true and that whatever that is, accomplishment or this person or this career, this experience or some acquisition, some accolade, some leisure, some title, whatever whatever the case may be, if, if you really believe that's what is going to bring you to fill that gap, then what you're going to do is you'll begin to adopt behaviors. You'll begin to adopt lifestyles that align with that. You know, this summer in Project Impact, we memorized some verses in Colossians. And one of the verses we memorized was Colossians uh, 3.5. And he says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And I remember when I memorized that, I thought, greed, how does greed amount to idolatry? Well, it's really simple because, see, when you keep thinking, you know, this stuff is really what's going to satisfy, then when we try to have something else in God's place to bring us satisfaction, that's idolatry. And what a greedy person is simply doing is this. They're making sure there are no holes in the bag of their desires. So they just want to keep everything for themselves. It's just idolatry. And that's what desire does. Desire drives us and drives us like that. On the other hand, the good news, the flip side is this. If you become convinced that God alone can fill that gap, then you begin to adopt behaviors and you begin to adopt lifestyles that really reflect that truth. That's one thing. Here's the second thing, worries. Worries, we are worried about many things. Now worry always has to do with the future. And you may think, no, no, actually I'm, you know, I'm actually worried about last weekend. No, you're worried about the ramifications of last weekend into the future. You're not worried about last weekend. You know, what you find is that you always are worried about the future. How's this going to turn out? How's that going to turn out? You know, will I get that job? Will I get COVID? Will she say yes? Will I be happy? Well, if I'm not going to be happy, will we at least be happier than other people so I can at least post that on some social media thing? You know, we constantly bombard ourselves with this. You know, how am I going to ensure that happiness? What if, what if, what if? And worries produce in us tension, trouble sleeping, 
irritability, fatigue, problems concentrating, just general unhappiness. And we worry about so many things, which let me give you one more to worry about. And that is worry perpetuates itself. See, what psychologists have figured out is this. As you worry, what you do is you, you, you just ruminate on something again and again and again. And most of the time, what you are worrying about never comes to pass. But what we do is we equate that not coming to pass with the fact that we were worrying about it. And so our takeaway is this. My worry helped stop that from ever happening. That's just so not true. So when you combine the list of our desires and the plethora of outcomes that we worry about, it is amazing that anybody actually gets any rest. Well, thank God our culture doesn't contribute to this. I mean, you know, at least we live in a, in a culture that's, you know, stable. No, not really. In fact, what culture does is culture tries to play off of all your desires. What you find is this. Most of advertising is designed to stoke the restlessness that's in us and to get us to buy something to it. In fact, advertising is a way to monetize your restlessness. That's all it is. In fact, those that are in advertising, they're aware of this. Years ago, um, when the Shell Oil Company first went to Ecuador and they began to do some drilling down there and they, they hired a bunch of the locals to come to work for them. And what they did was they were an oil company. So like they have always been oil companies, they, they overpay. And so they brought these people in and they weren't paying them very much. But when they paid them, they worked really hard for a week and then they disappeared and they went home. And they couldn't figure out what had happened. They thought, did we do something wrong? And they went out and found out, no, they had paid them enough that week, which was what they normally made in a month. And so they said, we'll be back to work in three weeks. And they were satisfied. And Shell was devastated. They needed this labor. So they were trying to figure out, how can we do something about this? Their answer was really simple. They had Sears catalogs flown in and they distributed them amongst all of the workers. And the workers who'd been very satisfied with working a week and then being off three, suddenly decided they saw things they could buy and their desires began to take over and they came back to work the next week because they were driven by desires. You know, if you're going to be intentional about rest, you need to know what real rest is and you need to know where real rest is found. True rest is really found in a relationship. And what you find is there are some practices that lead to really developing that relationship to where we experience the rest God desires for us to experience. So God gives us a couple of practices in scripture that serve as kind of on-ramps to, to true rest and to the life that we really desire to have. When you live these out, what you begin to find is desire begins to be contained and the future begins to be very secure. So the first one of these practices is the practice of Sabbath. Now, the word Sabbath in Scripture, it comes from a uh, Hebrew word, uh, Shabbat. But there's several meanings to the word. One of the meanings means to stop or to cease. Another meaning means to rest. Another meaning means to delight to delight in things. 
Another meaning means to worship. What you find is when you practice Sabbath, you really practice all four of those things. You stop, you rest, you delight, you worship. You really practice all four of those things. So Sabbath is mentioned in Hebrews chapter four. And when it is, it's mentioned as kind of a metaphor and a means both at the same time. It's a metaphor in that it's kind of a picture of when you step into a relationship with Christ, what you find is this, you begin to experience a rest you've never known. And that's what the author of Hebrews picks up on. He begins to describe that. In fact, let me read that to you. In, um, in Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, it says this, Therefore, let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also did, speaking of the people in the Old Testament. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we have believed, we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and for those who formerly had good news preached to them, failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered, now listen to this, for the one who has entered his rest has himself rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter the rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. He says, Sabbath is a metaphor that he's using here of us entering into a relationship with Jesus. And he says, what you find is when you enter into that relationship, you experience an eternal rest. But he also says that you can practice Sabbath in such a way as a means that'll provide rest for you in the time in which we live right now. And so the means at which he's practicing Sabbath, when he's talking about there is we're stopping, we're resting, we're delighting, and we're worshiping. As we do that, we're delivered from restlessness and we remember who God is and we remember who we are to him. This practice of Sabbath originated with God in Genesis 2, as he mentioned earlier when he said, somewhere God said this. This was actually in Genesis 2. After creation, on the seventh day, God stopped and rested. Now, he didn't need to rest. He doesn't get tired. God did that for our benefit because he was trying to look out for us. He understands that we learn best by example. So God really set the pace for us. And what he did was he rested. So we would have a pattern there 
And then he gives the people a day called a Sabbath day where they are to pause from what they're doing and to celebrate who they were and how he loved them. So they began to do that. And this was huge in the culture in which they lived. They had to work every single day in order to survive. It was an agrarian culture. They didn't just go down the road to the grocery. They had to work every single day. But God said, I want you to take a day off. I want you to trust me that I will provide for you. And so they began to do that. And they really began to cultivate that purpose of uh, knowing whose they were and knowing him better. Now, Sabbath is not just a day to stop working. It is a day that we are to rest. It's a day that we aren't looking to accomplish things, but we're looking to enjoy what we've already accomplished. We aren't looking to acquire things, but we're beginning to practice gratitude for what we already have. It's a time where we pause and reflect and we enjoy and delight in what God is doing in our life. And we enjoy and delight in who he is. And it's a time to remember who he is and and who you are to him. One of the favorite things I love to do, I love to watch home improvement shows. And uh, my wife will attest to this. I watch them quite a bit. But I'll I'll watch a home improvement show. And as they're working on it, to me, that gives you kind of a snapshot of kind of what a Sabbath is to be like. You watch them. they, They go into this week. They plan. They they, they are working incredibly hard. And then in, they come to this point where they kind of wrap it up. They finish it all up. And in the last 15 minutes of the show, it's like a Sabbath. In the last 15 minutes of the show, they're looking around. They're taking the owners with them. They're showing, did you notice the changes here? Oh, wow. Did you notice how amazing this is? And the people that are there are going, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe this is ours. I can't believe this. And you know what? That is a picture a lot of times of just how Sabbath would be in our lives. As we spend time with God, we're like, God, I can't believe what you're doing. And I can't believe how good you are. And I can't believe that we get to enjoy this time with you. I just can't believe that. Now, you may look at that and you may think, good night. It sounds like a mini holiday every week. You know, I mean, why why isn't everybody practicing Sabbath? I mean, why doesn't everybody do it? Well, there's, there's a variety of reasons. For some, they really do think the thing that's going to fill that gap are their desires. And so they continue to perpetuate that week after week after week. They keep thinking, well, I'm almost there. Last week I was almost there. But the problem is it just keeps moving. It just keeps moving. For others, they see each day as the same and they think, you know, I could practice it. I cannot practice it. I mean, every day is pretty much the same. So, I mean, I, I don't really practice one day or another. And that's fine. For others, it's just too much work. It takes work. I mean, you've got to complete your work. You've got to finish things up. Otherwise, you can't really enjoy the Sabbath. It's kind of like going home to enjoy uh, some, you know, vacation time at home when you have all these assignments that are due. You can't really enjoy that. So you have to wrap some things up and then prepare to practice Sabbath. So those are a few of the reasons, you know, you may think, hey, you know, Neil, I'm not really sure this fits in my lifestyle right now. I mean, I understand this some, but I'm not sure that fits in my lifestyle. Well, good. That's okay. I mean, you know, if, if that's the case, 
know this, that it's always available for you as a part of intentional rest. If you want to begin to experience intentional rest, you can begin to practice Sabbath. So if you did want to practice it, how would you get started? Well, begin, you know, find some space in the rhythm of your week to begin to practice it. Now, it may not be a full day. That's fine. Or it may not even be every week. Maybe you practice Sabbath, but you only practice it every other week or every third week. Well, that's fine. It's not so much the duration that that's there. It's the practice that's important. It's not a sin if you skip it. It's not like it's sinful, but it's really helpful if, if you practice it. I had one year where I took a half a day off each week and I would just go away and go to the beach. And I'll tell you what, that was one of the most refreshing years of my life in that I would just come away just so ready to face, you know, the week ahead simply because of taking that off. So begin to think about how you can practice it. The second practice was given to us by Jesus himself. And in that he says this, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus starts off, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. The word labor there, it, the, the people he's talking to are those that are really working to please God. You know, they're just laboring to try to do something. They have that kind of a labor or those who are laboring, you know, chasing their desires and thinking somehow that's going to fill this gap, you know. And the word heavy laden are those that are just worn down with guilt, worn down with the, the effects of sin, worn down with just all the failed attempts to fill that gap. And he says, come to me. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you is the first thing he says. In other words, link yourself with me. A yoke was this thing that joined oxen together so that they could pull in tandem and accomplish things together. What Jesus is saying is, link yourself to me and stay in step. Link yourself to me and stay in step. Now, you may look at that and you say, that seems a little restrictive. Well, what you find is, you know, restrictions can be very, very freeing. You know, you can choose your restrictions. You just can't choose the consequences. So, you know, what you have to decide is what are you going to go with? But here's some things you know. If you yoke yourself with Jesus, you will be about something significant because you're going to be doing the same things he is. Pleasing his father seeking and saving those that are a long ways away from him and helping to train up another generation. So you're going to be doing things that are significant. You can also know that if you're yoked to Jesus, you are yoked to the infinite God. And thus, the gap created by your desires is filled. And what you notice also is the future is secure. So Yoking yourself to him makes all sense. And then he says this, learn of me and you'll find rest for your souls. You discover two things here. One is he's the curriculum. You are to learn of him. You're to observe him. You're to learn him. You're to listen to him. You're to imitate him. But you learn him. 
And the other thing you find is you gain rest for yourselves. The restlessness that's going on in our lives begins to cease. You gain rest for your souls. And then he tells us, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're pulling with him. When you're pulling with him, he's got the majority of the load. And so you don't have to worry. It's much easier. That which at first to us seems like it's going to be this restriction. What we find is it comes to be this thing that really it's easy and light. And it comes to be this joyful discovery. And you find that, you know, yielding to his control is really the key to true liberty and true happiness in your life, to real rest. So what do these two practices of yoking with Jesus and Sabbathing, what do those lead to? Let me give you four things and we'll wrap up. One, they lead to rest, true rest. As you practice these, what you begin to find is your desires are controlled. Satisfaction becomes more of a regular experience for you. And you begin to learn to abide with him as you rest. Secondly, trust. One thing that must take place in order for us to truly rest is we have to trust whoever it is that that we're, we're with. And so as you trust, one of the things you find, you stop worrying. You stop worrying. You can trust because your future is secure. You can trust because of who he is. And what you find is when you face choices about the future, you have two choices. You pray about them because there's something you can't quite figure out how to accomplish yourself. Or if there are things you can't figure out, you plan for them. But you don't ever have to worry anymore. You can simply trust and move forward. Now, that that doesn't mean life is always going to just be easy. In fact, when Paul is writing Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.11, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, he says, you know, you remember the kind of life that, you know, I've lived uh, when I was in Iconium and and, uh, Antioch and and, uh, Lystra. And he says, and the trials that I bore and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. But when you go back in Acts chapter like 13 through 15 and you read what Paul's doing there in those cities, what you find is he goes into one city and there's some turmoil and he's brought out of there and and just barely escapes out of there before they're coming after him. He goes into the second city and kind of repeat of the first one. He goes into the third city and all the people show up and they stone him. And you think, Paul, did you forget that? Because what you said was, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. And what you find is, no, actually, the way life works is this. About two out of three times, he'll deliver you from something. The third time, he'll deliver you through something. But he's always there delivering you. So you can trust him. The third thing that you'll find as you practice this is thankfulness. Gratitude will begin to replace that insatiable appetite within you for more. Instead, you'll begin to develop a thankfulness. And lastly, fruitfulness. You'll find that you begin to experience love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, and self-control as part of who you are rather than just part of some things you do occasionally. So, As we wrap up tonight, what I'd like us to do is this. I'd like us 
to take some time, I'd like us to listen to a song that a classmate of Melinda and I's wrote back in college. And I, as you're listening to it, I'd like you to answer for yourself a couple of questions. One, what is your plan for intentional rest? And two, what will you do to get started in that? Thank you.
Oh, my God. 